0: This is the Angel Next Door podcast, where we will talk about all things angel investing, what it is, who does it, how do we find them, what does it mean to invest in an early-stage company. If you have ever wondered how you can affect the change you want to see in the world, then tune in to learn more. In this episode, I'm talking to angel investor-turned-entrepreneur, Jake Whitman, founder and CEO of Really Good Boxed Wine. Now, I know you may be thinking, boxed wine? Seriously? Well, many of you know that my husband and I are wine practitioners, as he calls it. So we have tasted some good, bad, ugly, and really good wine. When I met Jake in October of 2022, I was very skeptical that any boxed wine could really be any good. So being a little snooty patootie, I tasted his wine right in front of him while telling him I was intrigued but leery. And to my surprise, it was really good, hence the name. In this episode, Jake and I will discuss how he learned about angel investing and how he became a member of Queen City Angels in Cincinnati, and how he was compelled to take the boxed wine concept, make it even better, and make really good boxed wine. Literally. And what I found even more compelling than the wine actually being good was Jake's approach to the business and how he very thoughtfully and strategically raised money for the company, especially how he ended up raising money using equity crowdfunding, which is something we have discussed on the podcast in the past. What makes really good boxed wine unique is they make their own wine They are not just repackaging somebody else's. They have varietals like Pinot Noir and Cabernet, as opposed to just red wine in a box. And they have vintages, which you do not usually see on boxed wine. And my favorite part of really good boxed wine is the fact that he has a female co-founder and a female winemaker. Enjoy the show and check out the show notes for a discount code that you can try it for yourself. So hi, Jake. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Well, I am super excited to talk to you today and learn all about you as an angel investor and how you learned about angel investing and also about really good boxed wine. And as you know, the show is called The Angel Next Door. So we always start with asking people, how did you even learn about angel investing? When in your case, you are also a member of Queen City Angels. So how did that all come about?
1: Yeah. So... A few years ago, I was living out in out in the Bay Area, working at SoFi. So I was working in tech, and I was looking around, noticing a lot of people who had, you know, who had either been part of a tech IPO or something, or kind of come into a windfall of of cash, just sort of throwing ten thousand dollars around here and there, whenever anyone had an idea. And I was like, "Huh, this is interesting." And there's a lot of really interesting startups, but they're there must be a better way to do this, in a more disciplined way to do this. My my background is Procter and Gamble for a long time, and then working in, in marketing leadership in fintech, and so wanted a little bit more discipline, maybe. And so I was I was coming back to Cincinnati. You know, I was kind of in the process of moving back here, and got in touch with a guy who is is very active in in, in QC in Queen City Angels, and we were actually talking about something completely different. And at the end, he was. We just sort of got on the topic of angel investing and he told me a little bit about QCA. And I was There's kind of like light bulb went off. I was like, huh, tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. And before he talked about it, I was like, I can you send me more information about this? Like, I wanna, I wanna look at this and I might be interested in in kind of joining in. And so he sent me information about QCA and and I called up the the kind of the director of the of the organization and talked to him and and joined in. So that was about Two years ago or so when when I kind of more more officially got involved with angel investing.
0: That's so great. And so then how did you come about learning about really good boxed wine or come up with the idea? Or how did this call come about?
1: Completely as a as a consumer of wine. So so my original idea in leaving the Bay Area and moving back to Cincinnati was to start a search to buy a company, which is sort of a very different way of you know, investing in the in, in a business than than angel, it's more of a leverage buyout kind of private equity model. But that was that was my original idea was to move back to Cincinnati, find a kind of lower middle market company to buy and step in as the kind of the CEO of the company. And was actively looking and searching. And about a, a little over a year and a half ago, my wife and my brother and I were sitting around. My brother lives in Venice Beach, so we're sitting around in in Santa Monica drinking a bottle of rosé and the idea of. Box wine came up. And Grace and I, my wife and I had bought boxes a couple of times during the pandemic and we're always kind of disappointed in the quality, but we loved all the benefits of it. And so we just started talking about it. And I ended up going home and spending like seven hours researching it and came out the other side like man there is something here like there's there is a real opportunity with this and so I started calling around I called the, the one person I had a connection with in the wine industry a woman named Allie Ketchum who owns a vineyard a wonderful vineyard and, and winery up in the Russian River Valley and it was kind of off to the races. I started invest putting a little bit more money in a little bit more time and a couple months in, I was like, I need to make a call. Am I going to go buy a company and do a leverage buyout, or am I going to try and start this brand and and kind of build from the ground up? And decided, you know, there's always going to be companies that are that are out there to buy. Not that it's ever easy to find them, but they're always out there. But the time was right to to start really good box wine. The market was ready, and and somebody was going to do it, and I was going to take a shot at it. So.
0: That's so awesome. And as a connoisseur of wine myself, I remember when I first met you, Jake, and we were somewhere where they had some of the really good boxed wine. And I remember thinking to myself, hmm, boxed wine, you say, <laughs> I don't know about this, <laughs> but I tasted it right in front of you, if you remember. And uh, I thought, if this is really bad, I'm going to tell you the truth. And I was like, wow, this is really good. And I, the thing I find so fascinating about it is, first of all, it you have varietals, which a lot of times box wine is like red and white, right? And then you also have vintages, which is so different.
1: All of our wines are vintage and varietal, and show the region that it comes from, and that's one of the big differentiators. I mean, we're we're the only boxed wine out in the market that does that for all of our wines, and it's it's a signal it's a signal of the quality of 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 the juice and the the wine that's actually in in the box. That that moment of surprise is one of my favorite things about this brand. You see a lot, we see a lot of skepticism, and then people try it and they're like, "Oh wow, this is great!"
0: <laughs> right, right. And my favorite part is that you have a female winemaker.
1: Our winemaker is uh her name's Tammy Collins. It's one of the least represented groups in the wine industry for, for women in, in the profession. It's I think it's less than 14% of California winemakers are women. And Tammy's just phenomenal. She's she's worked on super premium wines for you know 25 years of her career. She's also so Ali is the one who I called, and she Allie's a female owner of a winery and a vineyard as well, which is also very underrepresented. So the two of them are great partners of ours in this in this business
0: That is so cool. Well I just remember seeing the picture of the amount of packaging and and shipping materials that it takes to send four bottles of wine and your boxes contain four bottles of wine but then your box isn't really that much bigger than maybe one bottle of wine and inside is the bladder that kind of keeps the wine fresh for up to six weeks, right?
1: After you open it, it stays fresh for six weeks.
0: Amazing. So tell us a little bit more about the sustainability part because I always thought that was super fascinating.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it when all is said and done, it's over a 50% carbon footprint reduction versus bottles. It's one of the sort of dirty hidden secrets of the wine industry that packaging and all the stuff that goes around the bottles is far and away the biggest carbon footprint. So you think about so one of our boxes in the bladder inside replaces four bottles. Four corks, all the labels and foils, plus all of the packaging, styrofoam or cardboard that is used to protect the bottles in transit because of their, their glass, as well as when our finished product is about half the weight. And so you think about, you know, freight shipping, the co- you know, the cost of freight shipping according to weight, we can fit about double the wine on the, the amount of the volume of wine on each pallet relative to bottles. And a lot of glass bottles are made overseas and they're shipped empty on freighters across the ocean. Our boxes are made just a few hundred miles away in Southern California from where they're from where they're produced, and they're about ninety percent lighter than than a bottle. The packaging itself is about an eighty five percent carbon footprint reduction when you factor everything all in. It's over a fifty percent carbon footprint reduction versus bottles.
0: That is amazing. We're definitely going to put in the show notes, since we're just talking here and people can't see a picture, but we'll definitely put a link to the picture of the four bottles and the box that it comes in versus the really good boxed wine box. And just, I mean, the visual on the difference in the size and the amount of packaging it takes for four bottles of wine in bottles, and then four bottles of wine in the really good boxed wine box. is just, it's
1: really, really amazing. You see it and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't, I almost can't believe it. It's so, it's so striking. It is. yeah, Uh,
0: It is. So, all right. So one of the things we really want to dig into here, because I thought this part of the business was so fascinating is how you went on then to raise money for the business and what were your decision points along the way because i know we are going to talk a lot about equity crowdfunding here which is always a hot topic in the angel investing space so maybe start with like when you started to realize you needed to take on investors and how that journey happened
1: yeah i think from the very beginning i knew to build this business in the way that i thought it could be disruptive in this you know massive 80 billion dollar industry we needed we were going to need to raise money this was never a business that I thought that we could bootstrap our way all the way through. I'm very... Cognizant of conserving capital when, when, when you need to, and then deploying it when you find the opportunities to do so. But this was never. This was all from the day I started the company. I knew we were going to need to raise. So the very first raise was about two weeks. We did a national pilot in in the Cincinnati, Ohio area in August of last year. So August of twenty twenty one. And about two weeks before that, I raised a friends and family round. Raised three hundred ten thousand dollars. And that was, I, I actually funded the initial pilot, but essentially it was, we're going to get learnings out of this and assume, you know, we have a lot of confidence that this is going to be successful. And we want to make sure that we have the capital to deploy and, and go act on what we learned and not have to wait for another, you know, three, four, five months to go raise. And so we got some capital in the bank so that, You know, after this pilot and then a second pilot, we were able to move quickly and get to our national launch. So that was kind of the first round of funding. Took that all the way through, basically a year. We're able to extend that that initial three hundred ten thousand dollars and tons of testing and learning and and trial and a lot of kind of organic growth and and building the business that way. And then you know, our, our plan was always to start. Was to do a true seed round once we had some real kind of indications of product market fit, and call it start the process and call it late Q1, early Q2 of of this year, and so kind of started that process and started talking to investors and funds and angels and and you know equity crowdfunding came into the picture as one of the options, and you know at first I was a little hesitant i i personally didn't know that much about it other than like you know the kickstarter of of 10 years ago or 15 years ago but the more i looked at it the more sense it made for us as a business and and I know we're going to talk a little bit more, so I I can talk in a minute about some of the decision points, but I thought that it would be important to have it be a part of the raise, but not the entire round, not the entire seed round. I thought there was a lot of benefits, but I also wanted to make sure that we had some kind of standard Reg D offline investors that, that didn't all come through equity crowdfunding. So... We kind of looked at what we needed to raise and carved out a portion of it to, to apply to the to the campaign and uh to the to the crowdfunding campaign and and got up and running on that.
0: That's so cool. So j- before you we get into the whole equity crowdfunding piece, when you were talking about how you were figuring out the product market fit for the actual product, like tell us a little bit about that journey.
1: Yeah. So big fan of testing small and getting real and getting real kind of data to to look at to then you know, before you spend a hundred thousand, throw a hundred thousand dollars out the door, I think you should test test small and, and kind of validate the idea. So the this pilot launch in August and Cincinnati, Ohio area only, very intentionally small, kind of control market, hand delivered a lot of them to people around the area. But when we launched, I kind of built up a waiting list over the summer. And we got some earned media, some kind of local press in the Cincinnati area. And when we launched, we sold out of it in about 5 days and I was Oh my like,
0: gosh and this was August of 21
1: This was August of 21 Okay and so and I was like wow that that went well and it's 60% people I didn't know I mean people were by it Whoa. wasn't just- who were buying it, people who didn't know it. And I was like, okay, that's that, that's encouraging. So then I was like, okay, but that's Cincinnati. I'm here. Some of it was, you know, I'm ex-Procter Gamble. And so we got some stories around, you know, XP&G moves out to Silicon Valley and moves back to start a company. And we got some awareness. That's a story that really matters in Cincinnati. What matters less nationwide. And so I was like, okay, I really want to validate that this that there's real interest nationwide. So we got licensing and compliance set up to be able to do a second pilot Filled another, you know, we increased production about 50% versus the first pilot run and launched that one and sold out in four days. And at that, and I think we sold to 23 states in that pilot. And I was like, okay, now, you know, we've sold a couple thousand bottles worth of wine in a week and a half. Like, I really believe now that there's something here. Let's talk to some of our customers. Let's send out some surveys. Let's learn. And what I found was we needed to completely rebuild the brand. Oh my gosh! The <laughs> brand was not the brand that was going to be successful here, and and the reason was it was very. If you look on our website now, it's this kind of handcrafted card, you know, like abstract vineyard with these bright labels. The original design was like primary colors, full flood color, very bold, and then your face. Kind of pattern, a pattern design, and when I heard back from everybody, as well, it's fun and bold and modern and different, but it is not premium. And our vision is to be the best box wine that exists in the United States today. And if we're going to deliver on that promise, it needs to be a premium look, tone, and feel and experience. So, tore basically tore the brand down, rebuilt the rebuilt the packaging, rebuilt the website kind of worked on our value, you know, value prop messaging and, and relaunched it in January when we launched nationwide.
0: Wow. I don't think I realized that you had completely changed all of the packaging. Huh? Well, I mean, that's just such a good example. I mean, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast too. I mean, this is an awesome example of, like you said, you test small to see what works, what, People are saying what your customers are telling you. And then you can go bigger once you kind of get
1: that feedback. Yep. So and then since then, you know, has been continued iteration on the product and the in the branding and positioning and everything to find and audiences to find the right product market fit. And I, you know, the 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 brand is growing and doing well. Are there places where we can... Are we still testing? Of course. I mean, we'll we'll be testing forever on the brand to, to continue to, to improve. But we really believe now that we've, we have we have a product that the market is enjoying and is ready for. And our repeat purchase is really high. People love... People who buy the product absolutely love the product. So we're... Yeah, it's an exciting time in the brand's journey. That's for sure.
0: And am I right? You have five or six
1: varieties? Uh, we have actually, as of today... We have six. The one that we just launched this morning is a Pinot Noir Reserve. It's our first reserve wine and it's really wow. the best one that we've done. It was in collaboration with Ali Ketchum, actually. It's a Russian River Valley Pinot Noir. Absolutely beautiful wine. This one for now is available to, to our monthly subscribers only because it's such a limited production, but you know, we'll, we'll likely open it up to the public and the you know, in in the relatively near future, once um, our subscribers get their chance to to buy it.
0: Oh, that is really cool! So you have a a rosé, yep. a sauvignon blanc, a pinot noir. Now the pinot noir reserve. You have a blend that is sixty five merlot, thirty five syrah. Is that right? Yep. Got it. And the and the cab. Yep.
1: And the cab. So, yep. Wow. And they're all California right now. We are looking at branching outside of California domestically and also looking at importing down the line. But right now, they're all California wines. From We partner with different producers across across the state, eventually across the globe, to, to either partner with them to make the wine or buy the grapes to, to crush and ferment ourselves and our, and our winery partner with Tammy, kind of leading the charge. Oh my gosh, I love it.
0: So, let's talk more then about how did you decide which equity crowdfunding platform to go to? What were the thoughts around how to market it? All of those good things.
1: Yeah. So, I there's sort of two types of equity crowdfunding. I mean, I know that there's this is there's more nuance than just this, but there's sort of two sides. There's there's either the the platforms that have is are relatively easy to get listed on and that have you know maybe dozens or even hundreds of startups that are that are listed and then there's the ones that are heavily heavily curated and that you go through a real kind of due diligence you go through their deal their deal committee you go through a real due diligence process and then they are actively kind of marketing it to their Group to their network of investors, basically. Whereas with the with the former, fees are lower, and the former, but you get a little bit, you get kind of like less support from the platform that you're working with. I in both both can be great options. I've you know I have nothing against either direction. for For our company, I wanted, I was very clear that we wanted to go the direction of going through due diligence going through deal committee and having support for that organization to kind of help us reach investors. Partly because I think equity crowdfunding is becoming more and more accepted in the fundraising world, but there is a little bit of a stigma still. And I thought that having that real due diligence done and and being kind of selected by one of the, the much more curated crowdfunding platforms would be helpful. For 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 us, and so um, we went through the process with Seed Invest, and immediately as soon as I talked to them, I I felt like it was a good fit for the for the brand. They've got a you know a network of over half a million investors. They really understood what we were building. They were excited about it, like very vocally and actively excited in a way that didn't just feel salesy, but really genuinely felt like they. They were excited about being part of it, and you know we went through the the due process and the way you know you might go through due process with a fund of some kind, and and then launched on the platform and had a very successful raise. We raised, you know, we raised, we oversubscribed our round. I will say by probably a pretty significant amount for what our, what our target was. So
0: that's unbelievable. So so then tell us a little more about the. When you say you went through a due diligence process with the platform, what was that like?
1: Yeah, it was. You know, I sent my my pitch deck in and had a, had an initial conversation with their with their venture team. They kind of wrote up a report and took it to their deal committee. Their deal committee reviewed. We made it through to the next round, and they came back with a list of I don't know, maybe forty or fifty questions or so that they wanted. You know they want us to either provide data for or answer answers for or or whatever the question was. So we kind of went through that process and answered answered those questions. That of course sparked more questions, uh, which is. This all this process works, and so those you know we had another maybe thirty questions come back out of out of those answers, and then there was a final I think a final maybe email of like hey if there's a couple more things that they want to poke on can you answer these just kind of via email in a little bit less formal way, so we submitted all of that and kind of a report and it went back to deal committee and they had a you know whatever cadence I don't know exactly what their cadence of meetings are but whatever the next kind of deal committee meeting that they had was. They reviewed our, our application and approved us. So they their, their statement on their site is that about 1% of startups that go through the process get accepted onto the platform. So we felt like it was a good... It was that alone felt like a really good sign that we were onto something that had real legs.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, like of all the people that go through this, how many did they actually take? Because some of the crowdfunding platforms that are out there, the one like the other side that you kind of mentioned that doesn't offer as much support you can like anybody any company could kind of go and put something up but it would be up to them to make it happen
1: yeah and, and this was the side i really just for our business and where we were i thought it was important to have that validation of we were one the part of the one percent of companies that are accepted onto this platform I, I thought that it would just help help us as a as a business moving forward to have that
0: And so then how long was the campaign and how did you roll it out and what were some of the things that you did in order to make it successful?
1: So the the campaign ended up being, we actually shortened it a little bit. They recommended 60 days. We had some things near the end of that 60 days that we could have either, we would need to either extend it longer or make it shorter. And I actually felt like shortening it could add a little bit more of the scarcity mindset, maybe of of you know, if we can really get some momentum earlier, making the campaign shorter might actually help. Um, yeah,
0: FOMO people. Feel
1: yeah, FOMO rather than the thing is just you know lasting forever. So we shortened it. I think the campaign was fifty four or fifty five days, something like that. But we, you know, from the beginning, so Seed Invest matched us up with a they called a venture analyst um basically like our internal marketing support who was running the campaign from SeedInvest side absolutely phenomenal resource like I, I i don't know if i can drop his name on the publicly on the podcast but uh just an incredible resource for us he was from day 1 was just working hard for us to help us be successful so we built the campaign alongside him but we really thought of it as a you know a 60 day marketing campaign in a lot of ways at least that's kind of how we built it so we had you know we had timelines throughout the whole 55 days of when was communication going out? When were we were when was I going to be communicating out to our audiences, either through email or social? What were the touch points that seed invest was gonna reach out through their audiences? We had a, a little bit of additional support because they, because they were excited about the about the launch, or we had someone reaching out directly to the accredited investors within their platform with a more personalized outreach. And we kind of went down to the, I don't wanna say it was. To the day of all 55 days, but we—I mean—we had a calendar where we had almost every day something was happening related to the campaign. We also, you know, a big piece of the campaign is company updates. What's happening? What's the new news in the business? Um, You really want to show that we're not just sort of sitting still while this is happening, but we're continuing to build, which is absolutely what we were doing. And so we had sort of a calendar and timeline of. What announcements were were we going to make and when when would make sense for the announcements to come out? What was sort of the, you know, the order in which it made sense for the for these announcements to come out to help tell the story. So it was a very sort of curated campaign and a very sort of disciplined campaign, honestly, on on from a communication standpoint. The other thing that we did was about halfway through, we did, so we did an early. An early tier perk, basically, where there was an additional perk if you invested before the halfway point of the campaign. Which you know, in the shortened campaign, is only a couple, like two and a half weeks in or three weeks in. And so, we really looked at that point as a as a critical point to get to as well, and and use that as that FOMO of hey, you know, and if you're thinking about investing, invest by this date because you get an extra, you know, an extra perk by doing so. And did that really work? It did. Our, that, that week, bef- the three days before, oh man, I'm trying to remember what the numbers were, but the three days before that early perk deadline, I think we did like 35% of the raise.
0: Oh, wow. Huh.
1: Yeah, because people were really, we had a couple great updates during that time. I, we had a lot of sh- people who had shown interest, and then we just went on sort of the full on communications blitz with everybody basically saying, you know, if this is something you're interested in, this is what you get if you, you know, if you invest, you know, if you invest now. And it and it really kind of took off. That's when we, I think before that date, things were going well. We were ahead of schedule, but you know, we would have some conversations like, okay, do we feel like we're still on track? Was did we go too early? That was when we knew that the raise was going to be successful. And we might even need to think about extending it beyond the initial allocation.
0: Wow. And so what did that do as far as marketing the product itself? Did you see an uptick then in sales because people were seeing it on the equity crowdfunding site?
1: Definitely did. And we had we did a, a special investor discount code basically. for anybody who's interested in trying it could use a code that would give people a little bit higher off than kind of our standard public discounts. and we we saw a lot of people buy the wine. I mean it's a for a product like wine to your to your point marsha like you're like i, I want to try this thing before before i really right, invest. right 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 yeah. yes and this whole product is goes down the drain and so for a product like ours we knew it was important for people to be able to try it and we wanted to encourage people to, to buy it we couldn't afford to send hundreds or thousands of boxes out for free but we could at least give people a discount to be able to to take a little bit off to to buy but you know part of the fees that come you know the fees are not nothing they're they're actually pretty significant and we really had to think about it as a marketing as a marketing fee and you know part of that is you know all of the all of the investors in the brand are now ambassadors and they have they've tried the wine and they share it with their friends and that's hugely valuable to us but also the like 600,000 people who got 20 to 25 emails and messages throughout the course of the campaign have now all been exposed 20 to 25 times to the brand. And that the value of that is extremely high of that kind of awareness of the company.
0: Absolutely, and we didn't even mention the price. The I think your price point is like perfect because it's sixty five dollars for a box, but that's four equivalent to four bottles of wine. So you're talking about you know about sixteen dollars for a really good bottle of wine. And if you go to a even you know like the liquor store or the grocery store wherever you get your wine from, you know if you want a a good bottle of wine, you're going to have to pay at least twenty five. If not more dollars, I mean, maybe a white, you could get a little less than that, but I mean, a red, no way.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you can find your jewels here and here and there, but it's you right. and far between to find really, really good, you know, boots on the ground, varietally correct, you know, hand, hand-picked wines for under 25 or $30 a bottle.
0: Yeah, I would, I would totally agree. Well, that is super fascinating about how you decided then to use the marketing in order to get other customers. So then, okay, so once the campaign was finished, then I know after that, you did go on to raise some more money, but
1: not through equity crowdfunding. So what did that structure look like? So we had raised, leading into the equity crowdfunding campaign, we had raised about half a million dollars already in the round. And we opened up we opened up basically the dot the full seed the full seed seed round for the company was in a 1.8 million dollar round. I'm not saying exactly how much we raised on seed invest for regulatory purposes, but a portion of that we wanted we knew it was going to be through the equity crowdfunding, and the rest was going to come through kind of more traditional either fund, either angels or, or funds that that wanted to. To come in at this stage, so ahead of time we had raised about half a million. We raised some additional during the seed during the the crowdfunding campaign. We raised offline from accredited investors throughout the campaign, and then since it's closed, we've continued to like to kind of work to close the round, which is coming kind of any day, any day now. So yeah, it was always it was always intended to be a part of the raise and not the entire raise,
0: right? And then is there are there specific rules around? being able to raise on the platform and off the platform at the same time.
1: So our our, our documents on seed invest were both a reg CF and a reg D campaign. We of course cannot raise any crowdfunding. any non-accredited investors cannot come in offline. They have to come in through the through the crowdfunding platform. That's part of the that's part of the regulation. But for reg D assuming as long as the the terms were the same, there was. There's no reason why we can't raise either on or off the platform. There's no kind of re- regulatory requirements that that doesn't allow that.
0: I get. Yeah, you know, that would make sense because if you were introduced to an investor and that had nothing to do with the platform, and they were gonna, they were credited, and they were putting in however much money and met your minimum, you could. Yeah. Take that
1: right. Yeah. Now, now, is, part of our agreement was with, with Seed invest though, is you Know if an accredited investor hears about the company through the seed invest campaign, that is fee taking. And so sure, sure, sure. And that's that's part of the documents that we signed with seed invest that said, you know, we know that we're gonna be raising offline. And and to we had actually this was one of my biggest questions to them, knowing that we were gonna be raising a, a size probably more offline than online. I wanted to make sure that if we found a fund that was interested in coming in and taking the whole round, you know, taking the rest of the round you aren't going to be paying their fees on it if I was actively out working to to find that that partner. So that was very explicitly laid out. We did have some accredited investors who I knew personally but who really heard about it through the seed invest campaign who we ended up paying fees on and that's fine. The reason why they came in and invested in the company was because we had we were doing this crowdfunding campaign.
0: And actually I I did read through the I didn't even know you back when you were doing the crowdfunding thing, but I did read through the seed invest documents and I thought they were just really, really well done. I mean, the amount of information that was on there that an investor could look at, it was the transparency was fantastic. And I thought they did a really good job of asking you all those 30 and 40 and 50 questions beforehand and documenting all that. And then, all of the updates that you provided, not just the planned updates that you talked about as far as marketing, but when people would ask you a question and then you would go on and you'd answer the question so that you know everybody got to see the question, everybody got to see the answer, it was just... To me, it's a really nice way that investors can have a really good idea about what's going on with the company. And not have to feel like, oh my gosh, I have to do all of this work. I have to ask all these questions. And, and it's kind of like a black box when you're going and looking at various companies that are private. But here it's almost like you know, you're you're being given all of this information that somebody has already vetted.
1: Yeah. And, and in fact, it's a legal requirement that. We can't interact. I could not interact with any with any potential investors as part of the crowdfunding campaign off platform because we wanted to make sure that all retail investors, it, the law is all retail investors need access to the same information. So we would, anytime people were interested, I would just direct them to that page. And anytime someone asked a question, I would say, you know, ask it on this page and I'll respond there. And so and that's so good. Yeah. I love that. Because it just makes it
0: so that everybody is, you know, equal fair.
1: Yeah, it was great. I was very I was so happy that that was I was actually very happy that that's part of the regulation because it gave me a forum to talk to people directly in a way that helped everybody.
0: Right, and then you're not having one-off conversations here, there, and everywhere. You can just be like, no, all communication has to go through there, because in a lot of cases, you know, I'm sure that there were people who had some of the same questions, but now you you're able to kind of field it in you know in various ways. So, yeah, I love that.
1: That's great.
0: Well, Jake, thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about really good boxed wine. Where can people buy the
1: wine? reallygoodboxedwine.com is the best place. We sell the majority of our wines just directly through our website. So, you know, go on, take a look at the different ones and uh, we ship them right to your door in just a, in just a few days. There is a monthly subscription if it has some cool benefits around discounts and exclusive access to wines like this new Pinot Reserve. And there's a kind of a one-to-one sommelier concierge service that we offer. So there's some fun benefits for subscribers for people who really love the wine. And then, you know, we're, we're pretty active on Instagram. So give us a follow on Instagram and uh sign up for our mailing list. We don't spam, but we do provide you know early access emails and discount codes and stuff like that through our through our email list. So lots of ways to to kind of follow follow our progress and, and get involved.
0: That's awesome. And we'll put all of that in the show notes too. So thanks so much for being here today, Jake. Yeah thank you. If we wanna be the change we wanna see in the world, we need to invest in the change we wanna see in the world. And what's the best way to learn more about that? Sign up for a class at the Ann and Bill Payne ACA Angel University. Classes are offered often, look at our website, angelcapitalassociation.org for the schedule. We offer everything from angel investing basics, which include fundamentals, risks, due diligence, term sheets, valuations, returns, and portfolio strategy. And we also get into a deeper dive with capitalization tables, startup boards, and exit strategies. And if you're not already a member of the Angel Capital Association, you can become one for as little as $250 for the year, and that will give you access to discounts, free webinars, networking, and much more. We'd love to have you join us. The Angel Next Door podcast is informational and not intended to serve as legal, tax, accounting, or investing advice. Our speakers and hosts are thoughtfully selected for their educational value but their opinions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of the Angel Capital Association, and the Angel Capital Association does not specifically endorse the use of presenters' products or services. Listeners of the podcast should consult their own tax, investing, legal, or accounting advisors before making important financial decisions. All warranties, including accuracy, completeness, and suitability for specific purpose, are disclaimed.